Hello everyone and welcome to episode 3 of the Bible in a Lifetime podcast. We're currently going through the gospel according to John, diving deeper verse by verse using multiple translations to glean some insights. If you like this podcast, please consider becoming a patron over on patreon.com slash fullofgracetv to support future episodes. And with that, let's start off where we left off uh, at John chapter 1 verse 32 in the NRSV. And John testified, I saw the Spirit descending from heaven like a dove, and it remained on him. I myself did not know him, but the one who sent me to baptize with water said to me, He on whom you see the Spirit descend and remain is the one who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. And I myself have seen and have testified that this is the Son of God. I like how the Knox translation renders it this way. Till then I did not know him, but then I remembered what I had been told by the God who sent me to baptize with water. He told me, The man who will baptize with the Holy Spirit is the man on whom thou wilt see the Spirit come down and rest. Are we like John in our lives? Do we remember what has already been revealed to us by God? God does not want us to seek signs, but he does want us to witness for ourselves. Here, John was not just told Jesus is the one, he was shown Jesus is the one. We don't know whether or not this revelation of the Spirit descending was a physical manifestation in the world, or just a spiritual one experienced by John alone. Regardless, it was important that John have this witness for himself. So too we can experience God by beginning with what we already know, remembering the revealed truths that have been handed down to us through the Church. In this passage, we also hear how the Holy Spirit remained on Jesus. This Greek word is also translated as staying, resting, or abiding. We'll hear this throughout John's Gospel with regard to relationships resting in each other. The relationship of the Godhead, the Father abiding in the Son, and the Son in the Father, our relationship with God as the Son and Holy Spirit abide in us, and our relationship with each other, as we rest in God's love and His Word, and act accordingly to our fellow brothers and sisters. I love this idea of the transforming power of resting in God. I wonder if we can take a moment today out of our busy lives to just rest in God. Take a moment, a minute or two, and just rest. Don't try to overanalyze or say anything. Just rest in God as a child resting in their parents' lap, accepting the warmth and peace of God. These verses also fulfill Isaiah's prophecy of the future king from the line of David with the Spirit of the Lord, who will turn this world upside down, or rather, more accurately put, will begin to turn this world right side up, correcting, purifying, sanctifying the fallen world by baptizing God's people with the Holy Spirit so that we might radiate God's peace and holiness to the entire universe. Let's read an excerpt of Isaiah's prophecy in this regard. 
chapter 11, verses 1 through 6. A shoot shall come out from the stump of Jesse, and a branch shall grow out of his roots. The Spirit of the Lord shall rest on him, the Spirit of wisdom and understanding, the Spirit of counsel and might, the Spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. His delight shall be in the fear of the Lord. He shall not judge by what his eyes see or decide by what his ears hear, but with righteousness he shall judge for the poor and, and decide with equity for the oppressed of the earth. He shall strike the earth with the rod of his mouth, and with the breath of his lips he shall kill the wicked. Righteousness shall be the belt around his waist, and faithfulness the belt around his loins. The wolf shall live with the lamb, the leopard shall lie down with the kid, the calf and the lion will feed together, and a little child shall lead them. Let's continue with John verse 35. The next day John again was standing with two of his disciples, and as he watched Jesus walk by, he exclaimed, Look, here is the Lamb of God. The two disciples heard him say this, and they followed Jesus. When Jesus turned and saw them following, he said to them, What are you looking for? They said to him, Rabbi, which translated means teacher. Where are you staying? He said to them, Come and see. They came and saw where he was staying, and they remained with him that day. It was about four o'clock in the afternoon. Jesus says to his first disciples and to us today, What are you looking for? Our souls long for God, for we were made with God as our goal. And as St. Augustine says, Our heart is restless until it rests in God. So the disciples answer, Rabbi, teacher. They were not sure yet what exactly they were looking for, but they were longing for God, and they knew that they would be taught something by this Jesus, this Lamb of God, which John proclaimed. And then they asked him, Where are you staying? The same Greek word we saw earlier that means resting, abiding, staying. Where do you abide? They asked Jesus. And Jesus invites them to come and see not only the temporary earthly habitation where he stays, but the eternal abiding in God the Father. In time, he will come to reveal this cosmic abiding, this universal resting in God, where our hearts can be like the sacred heart of Jesus, conformed to his image, ablaze with the love of God and creation. John also gives us a time for the moment these first disciples started following Jesus, which seems strange at first. He says it was about 4 p.m. Because of these details, some people think that one of the disciples was John the Beloved. In the next verse, we'll hear about how the other disciple was Andrew. But isn't that kind of wholesome and heartwarming to think that this was such an important life-changing moment for John that he remembered the very hour. Many of us who have been brought up in the faith maybe don't have a single moment that we can remember where we first began to follow Jesus. But I hope, nevertheless, that we still have 
these monumental moments in our faith journey where we turn towards Jesus and begin to follow him more closely. John also signals by this 4 p.m. that we are towards the end of the day in this narrative of salvation history. As we know in the Jewish counting of days, new days begin at sunset, so the old covenant is coming to a close, and in these last hours we will see and hear the wonderful things Jesus does during his ministry. And then the sun will set and Christ will give us his body and blood in the form of bread and wine to begin the new and eternal covenant. Let's continue with verse 40. One of the two who heard John speak and followed him was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. He first found his brother Simon and said to him, We have found the Messiah, which is translated anointed. Here we get some insight into the mentality that Andrew and the other disciple had as they followed John the Baptist. They were looking for the Messiah. And finally they find him in Jesus, though not everything has been revealed to them about what exactly that means. They may still think of this earthly king Messiah who will overthrow the Romans. Nevertheless, there is a general sense of excitement here. They have finally found the Messiah whom they were looking for. And Andrew is so excited to tell his brother that he brings him to Jesus, an example to us all. Verse 42, He brought Simon to Jesus who looked at him and said, You are Simon, son of John. You are to be called Cephas, which is translated Peter. Here I like the rendition of the New Jerusalem Bible, which says, You are to be called Cephas, which means rock. Both the Aramaic Cephas and the Greek Petros mean rock, so I like how here the Greek Petros is rendered into rock, because that is what John is doing here. He's translating the Aramaic to Greek to his readers, so they could understand where the name came from. In any case, what's important by this name rock is that Jesus was very deliberate here. From everything we know about the Greco-Roman world, Peter was not used before Jesus renamed Simon. So it really was a unique God-given name to mark Peter's role in God's plan of salvation. Like Abram and Sariah were renamed Abraham and Sarah, and Jacob was renamed Israel, now Simon was named Peter to signal that he was the rock upon which Jesus would build his church. In the original Aramaic, Sipha was not just a small rock or pebble, but a large stone that could serve as a foundation for a building. At the end of this gospel, we'll hear the culmination of this renaming, the full explanation that Jesus would soon depart and Peter would be left to tend to the sheep. But for now, we can wonder whether Peter understood the full implications of this new name he had received when he first met the Messiah. Let's continue with verse 43. The next day Jesus decided to go to Galilee. He found Philip and said to him, Follow me. 
Now Philip was from Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. Philip found Nathanael and said to him, We have found him about whom Moses and the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus, son of Joseph, from Nazareth. Nathanael said to him, Can anything good come out of Nazareth? Philip said to him, Come and see. Can anything good come from Nazareth? Nathanael, also called Bartholomew, is how many of us act, considering worldly importance, before we even get a chance to know someone. We prejudge people by what little information we have. Again, the apostles were still trying to grasp what it meant for Jesus to be the Messiah. Peter, Andrew, and Philip were from Bethsaida, a relatively large town known for fishing. But Nazareth was a small, insignificant town not known for fishing or exporting crops. Economically and politically, it was nothing. And this Jesus, this meek and humble man from this insignificant town in the backwoods of Galilee, was the Messiah. The great priest, prophet, king, prophesied by Moses and the prophets. We should consider, every time we're weighing the importance of things, how seemingly insignificant things carry great importance to God. As followers of Christ, we should not put undue importance on things and especially on people for their economic or political standing. We should remember how God cares about the lowly, the economically disadvantaged, the oppressed, those with little political power. For when he came to reveal himself fully to humanity, he came as a poor man to live in a poor town, to care for poor people, and find his demise at the hands of the powerful ruling class, both political and religious rulers, who had him arrested and killed. Let's continue with verse 47. When Jesus saw Nathanael coming towards him, he said to him, Here is truly an Israelite in whom there is no deceit. Nathanael asked, asked him, Where did you get to know me? Jesus answered, I saw you under the fig tree before Philip called you. Nathanael replied, Rabbi, you are the Son of God. You are the King of Israel. Jesus answered, do you believe because I told you that I saw you under the fig tree? You will see greater things than these. And he said to him, Very truly I tell you, you will see heaven opened and the angels of God ascending and descending upon the Son of Man. Here Jesus is not only commenting on the virtues of Nathanael, but on how this new messianic age was in contrast to the old covenant. In the story of Jacob and Esau, Jacob, later named Israel, was known for deceiving his father Isaac to get his brother's Esau's birthright blessing. Now Jesus points out that in Nathanael and in this gathering of the twelve apostles, the old Israel is giving way to the new. And when Nathanael questions him, Jesus answers by mentioning a fig tree a symbol of this new age from the prophecy in Zechariah which says, On that day, says the Lord of hosts, 
You shall invite each other to come under your vine and fig tree. And in Micah, which says, They shall all sit under their own vines and under their own fig trees, and no one shall make them afraid. So not only did this knowledge of Christ get Nathaniel to believe, but this allusion to the prophecy helped Nathaniel connect all the dots and got him to realize that, yes, Jesus was the real deal. But Jesus is kind of amused at how easily Nathaniel is convinced. He says to him that greater things he will yet see. As far as we know from these verses, Nathaniel was convinced by Jesus' prophetic knowledge. But does Nathaniel understand truly the full implications? Jesus says he will witness and know that the angels will ascend to Jesus because he is truly God, but also descend to Jesus because he is truly man. Because of the incarnation, heaven is truly opened as was intended from the beginning. Creation can now experience the sanctifying grace of God. Angelic ministers of God support us and the divinity of Christ transforms us and glorifies our very natures as we partake of him in the Eucharist.